This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi everyone, it's Philip Mock here with The Retirement Detective. Today, we continue our multi-part series on fixed income, and today we're focusing on credit risk. Fixed income is not without risk, and so we're gonna discuss what's probably one of the two greatest risks with fixed income, and that's credit risk. We're going to dive into that right now. I love talking about fixed income. It's not the fanciest part of the market. It's not the sexiest part of the market. That title belongs to stocks for sure. But I personally really enjoy fixed income. It's complicated, it's mathematical, and that really speaks to me. So I'm excited to take on this multi-part series with you. I'll also warn you that my voice is getting a little hoarse today. So we're gonna muddle our way through it, but I'm going to try to keep this episode on the shorter end. Today we're talking about credit risk. As you may recall from our episode last time, there are a couple of components that go into how a bond is priced. You have the rates in the market have an impact, the credit quality of the entity has an impact, and the maturity length of the bond has an impact. Those three all work together kind of in a stew all mixed up to make the pricing of the bond. Bonds do have a price, it's just like a stock, You can go look at it at a brokerage or in a software tool and see what a particular bond's price is. It may be a good price, it may be a bad price, just like a stock's price may be good or bad. As it relates to the risks associated with fixed income, it is my humble opinion that credit risk is the most important risk to understand. Interest rate risk is the other risk that's extremely important to understand. But credit risk is of, in my opinion, paramount importance of the two because to understand credit risk is to understand also the risk of default, which is the worst thing that can happen when you buy a fixed income. So let's talk about that first. Default risk is the risk that something goes terribly wrong with the entity that issued the bond and they're either unable to fully pay back the interest or maybe they have to pause interest payments, or they're unable to pay you interest and also unable to pay you back your principal at the end in a worst case scenario. As a refresher, a bond is a fixed income instrument. We talked about this in the prior episode. You purchase it, it has a maturity length, it pays you interest, and at the end of the time period, you hopefully get your principal back. It works similarly to a CD at a bank. The worst thing that can happen during that time period is that something happens to the entity, like maybe if it's a municipal bond, there was a massive natural disaster that impaired that entity's ability to generate the revenue through property tax or sales tax or whatever means they use to generate revenue and they can't do it anymore, they can't do it as well, and therefore they're no longer able to 
pay back the bondholders their interest or even their principal. If it's a corporate bond, we're probably talking about bankruptcy or near bankruptcy. So the entities had some sort of problem and they, they can't pay it back anymore. Maybe it's a pharmaceutical company. They have two or three drugs that they've had approved and they've been out in the market and two out of the three drugs have been determined to cause cancer. And so the FDA pulls their approval. They're no longer to sell those, able to sell those drugs. They're pulled off the market. The revenue for the company gets cut by two thirds and now they're facing bankruptcy and they may also face the possibility of not being able to pay back the bondholders. That's the worst case scenario with fixed income, but it's really important to understand. A lot of press, for instance, likes to portray fixed income as the safe part of the portfolio. And I cringe every time I hear that because when you're investing, it's important to understand that there is no safe investment. Nearly everything has some sort of risk associated with it, even cash. Cash to me is risky because you're you're putting yourself at risk of losing purchasing power. If you just hold cash, you'll never make enough, most likely, to beat inflation, and that's risky. With fixed income, I think the greatest thing that could go wrong is that the entity defaults. There is the true default, which means that they literally stopped paying interest or couldn't pay all of it. There's also something called a technical default, and a technical default is when one of the metrics that a, the entity has to keep up with, um, sometimes these are called a covenant, uh, they weren't able to do so. So maybe one of the covenants for the bond is that they, they have to keep the ratio of the interest they pay out compared to their net income at a certain level or below a certain level so that uh, not an excessive amount of their net income is being paid out in interest. The company may still be able to pay the interest and the bondholders back, but if their interest expenses compared to net income exceed the threshold that's written in the bond document, in the covenants for that document, that's a technical default. And those are in there to basically tell the company, you have to keep your financials in order because that's one of the ways that we're trying to make sure that our bondholders get paid back. In either case, it's not good. And there would be some pretty immediate negative impacts of those things. So how on earth are you as an investor supposed to be aware of these risks and, and how to account for them? Well, one way is through the credit rating. So bonds are evaluated by entities called credit rating agencies. In the United States, there's three big ones and then there's some tertiary smaller ones, but they'll go out, assess the underlying entity and make an assessment of how likely is this entity to pay its debts back. They have to take into account the revenue streams of that company. They take into account the environment that that company works in from a maybe geographic or regulatory perspective. They also take into account the other debts that that entity has. If an entity has a ton of debt, they are going to be less likely to pay back their bonds than an entity that maybe doesn't have any debt compared to their net income, and maybe this is the first bond that they're issuing ever. All of this is analyzed by a credit analyst, and they'll generate a report and issue a credit rating. A credit rating is a series of letters, um, like AAA, for instance, across the board is the highest credit rating and means 
there's a really, 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 really low likelihood that this entity will default on this bond. It's not zero, it's just really, really low. And then the credit ratings are in a scale and they work their way down to a level where the worst credit rating basically means this bond is already in default or imminently in default and everything in between. So investors can use the credit rating to make an assessment of that particular bond and its likelihood of being paid back. One of the things that you look at when you're considering the default is the recovery rate, which is sort of the inverse of how severe the loss is. So if you're looking at an entity and they'll, they'll actually project out, well, what if this entity did default? What would the payout be to investors in that case? It usually comes from asset sales. So if the company can't make any more money, they probably do have some assets. And what is the value of that? And if we sold all of the assets and divided it among all the bondholders, what would that look like? If it's a municipality, historically the recovery rates are a little bit better than with a company because the assets of a city are a little more um, persistent, maybe. I don't want to say the word perpetual, but um, it's really hard to make a city go away overnight, whereas a company literally can vanish overnight. So when you're considering the default risk, there the, the credit risk, there's those two key components. The, what is the risk of default? And then if there was a default, how much would we actually get back? Those two things kind of are, are melted together to come up with the credit rating or an assessment of credit risk. It's, I just can't speak on it enough that it's important, so important to understand when you're buying fixed income that it's not without risk. In the United States, there have been municipal defaults. There have been corporate defaults. There have been corporate entity defaults in the city where I personally live and in many other cities across the country. Some municipal defaults have been very public and damaging. Others, maybe you've never even heard of it. But in either case, the bondholders that are owning a bond that's in default are in trouble because their whole reason they purchased that bond is to get interest payments and potentially to purchase what they perceive to be a less risky investment. And they also hope to get their principal back at the end. And in the event of a default, at least two out of those three is broken. You have definitely lost the perception of it being lower risk and you may not be getting that interest. And in a worst case, you may also not be getting all or part of your principal back. Some bonds get around this by actually having collateral, which helps, you know, it kind of speaks to what I mentioned earlier when they're assessing how would this bond recover in the event of a default, they would look to the assets. What can we sell? What can we put out in the market that has value today to help us fire sell this company or entity and get our money back? Credit risk has a important impact on price and it's somewhat intuitive. So the worse the credit quality of an entity is, the greater its risk is. And the way that the markets communicate risk in fixed income is 
through its yield or its interest rate. So if a bond has deteriorating credit quality and maybe, you know, let's pretend that, you know, it's an energy company and they have a gas processing plant and the gas processing plant catches fire. That bond overnight will probably drop in value. I don't know how much, it's hypothetical, but it's most likely going to fall in value. Why? Well, because overnight bondholders and the markets in general said, hey, since this plant is now on fire and it's not functioning, they're not earning as much revenue. And if they're not earning as much revenue, they're going to be less likely to be able to pay back this debt. Now, it may be a small plant for a massive company, but the scale, it does matter, but the direction doesn't. I could almost nearly guarantee that the value of a bond in that situation would go down. Now, if that's the one plant of a small company, the value of that bond is probably going to drop by a lot. If it's a small plant of a massive company, the value of that bond may drop by a small or negligible amount. But either way, the risk associated with that bond has gone up, whether in an incremental fashion or a massive fashion. The inverse of price movements is the interest rate movements in the market. So let's pretend that that same energy company bond where their plant just caught fire has a 5% coupon rate. They pay 5% on this bond. And if the price falls, that means that to the purchaser, their yield to maturity on that bond is now something higher than it was before. And if it's less than 100 or less than its par value, then you're actually talking about the yield to maturity on that bond being higher than its coupon rate. Because if you bought it and held it mature to maturity and it did not default and it actually paid its principal back at maturity, you would get the 5% coupon. Plus, if it's below par, whatever that price difference is between uh, where it is today and its maturity. Now, we're going to talk about uh, yield in the next episode. Yield to maturity, yield to worst, yield to call, the different measures of yield. But without going into that right now, the important thing to understand is that negative credit quality movements make the price of a bond go down, which makes the interest rate in the market for that bond go up. That's, that's the key thing to understand in terms of the price movement. Key takeaway, number one, bonds have risk. They're susceptible to risk in interest rate movements and they're susceptible to risk in credit quality. And we'll also talk about in a future episode how the length to maturity plays a role in its risk. Longer maturity bonds have greater risk. But of all of those, I believe credit quality is the most important one to understand because to fail to understand credit quality means you are failing to understand how that bond could default and if it did, what that might look like. And that can be really dangerous for your portfolio. Bond defaults are not pretty. And this is why I think for most people, buying bonds inside a fund makes sense because if you buy bonds inside of a fund, whether it's a ETF or a mutual fund, you're going to end up buying thousands of bonds and bond funds are not immune from defaults either, but at least in a fund, you're more insulated from that in the sense that it's a very small piece of a pie because 
they may have thousands of bonds. If that bond fund has 2,000 bonds inside of it and one of them defaults, the price impact to the overall fund may be barely even perceptible. Whereas if you own like five or 10 individual bonds in your portfolio and one of them defaults, that could be a a catastrophic impact on your returns and, and maybe even your, your plans for retirement or whatever your other goals are, depending on how what the size was. So I think default risk and credit quality are sometimes overlooked, misunderstood. Bonds are often labeled as safe, but the better way to label them is less volatile. Absent a default, bonds pricing movements are much less volatile than stocks, but I would be cautious to confuse that with meaning that bonds are safe. They can have bad things happen to them, just like stocks. For what it's worth, when you're you're looking at the hierarchy of bankruptcy, bondholder, bondholders typically are paid out before stockholders. So if you're a common stockholder, you're generally the very last person to get paid out. So in that sense, bonds are safer than stocks because in the event of a bankruptcy, bondholders typically get paid before common stockholders do but that does not mean that bonds are completely safe. That's enough scary stuff about credit risk and bonds for one day. I enjoyed talking about this and I look forward to continuing the next part of our multi-part series on fixed income with you next week. Take care and we'll see you next time. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. Philip Mock is an owner of 1522 Financial LLC. 1522 Financial LLC is a registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in the state of Oklahoma. Registration of an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of 1522 Financial LLC. 1522 Financial LLC is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. 1522 Financial LLC does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. 1522 Financial LLC shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer. Any reference to cases or case files is purely for entertainment purposes only.